Chance game time, nine sitting in the bleachers, green standing on the sides, I'll be running through your speakers. Chance game time, they don't wanna see us win. They're trying to pull all of us down, they don't want me to make ends. They don't wanna see me grow and become something that they didn't. Welcome to game time, everybody. This is this week we're gonna talk to someone that can give us some solid professional advice about mental health and how we can be more supportive of our student athletes. My guest today is Cindy Scoros. She's been married 32 years to her wonderful husband, James. She's the mother of three, the grandmother of two. She has a bachelor's in science from Columbia Southern University and a master's in counseling from Liberty University. She worked 15 years with the federal government, and now for the last seven years, she's been doing Scarrow's counseling services, specializing in trauma, grief, depression, anxiety, and some personality disorders. She's my co- my former co-worker and it was a really interesting conversation I had with her because I was able to share that I was a terrible sports mom. And although we were not talking about me, when she talked about a couple of things on how to help student athletes do well with their mental health, I, I wish I had known her earlier because she could have helped me. And it's just a very interesting conversation. I don't want to give away her secret sauce. I want you to tune in and listen. So welcome to Game Time. And thank you, Cindy, for joining us. Well, my name is uh, Cindy Skoros. I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Um, I specialize in trauma, generational trauma, that type of thing, grief, anxiety, depression, loss. Um I've been doing this for about six years now in my own practice, and it's just fulfilling to know that I'm walking in my purpose and what God really just had for me to do in my life. And so, yeah, I love my second act. I was an accountant for 15 years before I started doing this. Yeah, one of the reasons I want to, um, to address this subject is that I didn't know that my mental health... Um, issues uh, was what led me to substance use and so but when I got to high school I had I had seen uh, been sent to a mental health professional when I was in elementary school and then when I got in high school I had a lot of anxiety because my coping skills at that time was to fight so if someone did something if I felt scared or whatever then it was okay just punch them in the face and we're done not that I won every fight but that was just my way of dealing with that and when I got on the basketball team I knew if I punched the person in the face that I was going to get kicked off the team so instead I started to drink so as I was telling you that story pre-hitting the record button you was giving me some mumbo jumbo that comes from from your expertise. So share what you was what you were where you were going with that, and share a little bit about what you know about mental health and athletes. Well, I work with um, athletes, whether that's in prior college athletes. I also have worked with uh, several. In a former NFL players, basketball players in our community now, and there does seem to be a kind of a kind of like a thing that a pattern, I guess, mm-hmm. that has come up. I think with a lot of athletes, one of the things is living up to the external expectations of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> and what that is is that 
I, on, when you're part of a team, you run in place, you are expected to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think it's been very hard for them to let go of that perfection expectation of others. And it kind of leads them even in their own personal lives. Mm-hmm. Or even when it's time for them to transition or do the major life adjustment of coming out of sports and coming into regular world. Mm-hmm. That's still that same expectation. And they assume the expectations. Mm-hmm. that can, And if they feel like they can't meet them or that they're not meeting it, that's where that anxiety, depression, and other things start showing up and can also make their transitions out of sports a lot harder. Mm-hmm. But even if the people are still in the sports, that external expectation of perfection leads to a lot of mental health issues. The thing that, um, as I was listening to you say that, I didn't think about also my expectation of other people. Because when you play a team sport, and you're coached by the same coach, everybody's on the same page, um, and then there's accountability. There's a lot that goes on within mm-hmm. sports, and, and that is even when you're on a high school team, middle school team, there's a different than in adult life when you go into the workplace, even though you have a coach, quote unquote, boss, everybody's not um, holding their part. And then mm-hmm. there is that this thing that we have from being on teams of so so it it is it's that external thing and whether that's in the workplace whether that's in sports uh that perfectionism can take off and then if we feel like and the thing about perfectionism it's motivated through fear of judgment fear Mm -hmm. of criticism fear of failure absolutely right Mm -hmm. and with those being the things if you feel like you're not meeting someone else's expectations it's quite easily to personalize it as i'm a failure Mm -hmm. or i'm not good enough Mm -hmm. And it's the core beliefs that we have about ourselves is what we live out. Yes. And so if that external um, expectation is hard, mm-hmm. comes with very, or what I call imbalanced consequences, mm-hmm. um, that will in turn impact someone's self-esteem, self-worth, self-value. And again, that's what they will live out. We live out what we believe and think about ourselves. Right. Right. And if they're and if it's just not good enough, and of course that's going to be, I mean that's evident in sports, right? Mm-hmm. I mean it's not good enough if I'm not winning. Right. It's not good enough if I'm not meeting the expectation. It's not good enough if I don't get this many re- rebounds. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough if I don't make these many goals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy to personalize that, not make it make it about your character instead of it being about this situation or this game. And that will definitely impact self-esteem, self-worth. And then all of us have our own little things that we do to try to uh, compensate for that. Sometimes it's addiction. Sometimes it's anger. Yes. Sometimes it's um, giving off the uh, uh, impression of aloofness or uncaring. Yes. Uh, and it's just defensive mechanisms because internally I'm feeling unworthy. I'm feeling not good enough or I'm not meeting that expectation. I may have to leave a check when I leave you. I just, <laughs> I, I just got a little bit of revelation because I was, I was thinking about when you said that, um, that not only with, with, um, you know, I don't drink anymore. The substance use issue has been resolved, but I always talk. I always um, use it as ego because what I understand about ego is that having your identity attached to something. And so when I think about my ego being attached as a youth volunteer coach, when we were not successful, I always thought about what other people were thinking about me, not the kids, but me. 
and that caused the anger that caused me to be yelling and screaming and acting a fool because of me the, the external whatever that thing you just yeah said. that external expectation of perfection yeah and the deal is is when that gets triggered I think we don't take enough time sometimes to think about is there another way for me to think about this except for personally yes 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 right yes and and I, I will say again I'm th- making this my therapy session I will say that what I've been able to do is say the people who I think who probably not thinking about me at all who I think are thinking about me and have these expectations of me I'm gonna let this go because they're not realistic anyway if, if they were thinking that they're not being realistic. So I've been able to move past some of it, but there are some other things I'm exploring as far as... And you know, and I think the deal about a lot of it is, is people don't really talk about or know how to handle disappointment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When there are clear, clear instructions on how to handle disappointment, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the first thing is you got to talk about it. You got to allow yourself to feel it. Mm -hmm. You also got to be able to give yourself acceptance Mm -hmm. in the disappointment because what will happen we will be so outcome driven meaning did I win and because I didn't win we don't even look at maybe some positive things that happened Mm -hmm. because the deal is if I can't be satisfied or if there is a the disappointment in the outcome where are the small things I can give myself acceptance for in the moment to balance that disappointment out Mm -hmm. and then you don't let it fester Mm -hmm. So, so we're talking more about um, ways to because I, I'm older and I can I can um, I, I'm able to look back and see some of the things. But so early on, like uh, let's say a uh, eighth grade athlete, high school athlete, college athlete, who who may not have that much self reflection yet, that skill hasn't been developed yet, and they don't even know what's going on. They they do know this that it is in their mind, not okay to ask for help. So t- tell me what do you think that comes from? Um, because this, it, it can be, there are ethnicity issues with that, there are gender issues with yes. that, there are a lot of different issues with that. So tell me a little bit of uh, what you think about uh, people being able to ask for help and seeking help or believing that help is possible. Well, I think that there is a lot of hindrances to people asking for help but I think a lot of it goes and correlates to probably the same reason that a lot of people don't come to counseling Mm -hmm. not knowing what the outcome is going to be not knowing um, I think there's also this social and sometimes cultural thing that says that if I ask for help that means I'm weak Mm -hmm. Um, there is the aspect of not asking for help to me I think the main one is just fear Mm-hmm. And so many times in life, we go through life accommodating fear more so than taking the risk of not accommodating it. And so what I mean by that is for many people, socially, culturally, we've been probably taught that asking for help means that people are going to judge you as weak or not knowing or dumb or stupid. But to me, it takes so much more courage to ask for help than it does to act like I don't need it. And so I think that we have to kind of reframe the meaning of help mm-hmm. and reframe the meaning of, of, of what really 
the internal traits it takes to really even ask for it. Because to me, it takes courage. Mm -hmm. It takes insight. Mm -hmm. It takes Mm self-reflection. It takes um, you being able to identify resources. Mm -hmm. So it takes intellect. Mm -hmm. To me, you're using so many much more skills Mm -hmm. in asking for help and positive traits within yourself in doing that than acting like you don't need it. So how do we change the narrative early on? Because I think I think some of that is changing. That the, this generation mm-hmm. is definitely further along. I think the way that we change the narrative is kind of like something that I do with my grandkids. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, like if my grandkids, I have a, a grandchild who is um, has ADHD. Mm-hmm. So I look at him and let's say or look at her mm-hmm. and I say, "Sweetheart, I think Nana needs to help you with." your Mm self-discipline I never make it about their character Mm -hmm. we need okay we I think you need some help with figuring out how to be calm right now Mm -hmm. and then we address that we Mm -hmm. make the the problem outside of the character of the child Mm -hmm. so if you're a coach and let's say somebody's losing focus on the court and they're not being focused Mm -hmm. or whatever you don't say keep get your head in the game get your head in the game you go sweetheart what can i do to help you with your focus right now mm-hmm. now they're seeing it as a problem that they can collectively work with somebody on instead of just seeing themselves as the problem mm-hmm. and i think that's how we can begin to change the narrative of being okay with asking for help not making it about someone's character okay so so my my other questions would be about when people need medication when there is um, a physiological thing going on that that is leading to depression people understanding what depression is um, and people and that when I say people I don't mean just the athlete I mean their family their coach what kind of things can a family or coach or a community look at with 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 an athlete or with you know, anybody in their family, period, to kind of say, I think something's wrong. Well, we, we will know that something's wrong with... I'm and sorry, let me, because I, I am big on language, and I am big on trying to stop the stigma, and I don't want to say something's wrong. Well, I, yeah. I want, to use, I want to use better language for that. So when we when we feel like they might need some more resources to address something. Yeah. Well, we know that people will need more resources, especially in our field, when they seem unhappy, mm-hmm. when they have a constant, um, almost like a self-deprecating speech about self, mm-hmm. when they have lost motivation, when they, when daily functioning skills seem to be something that they're not making important for themselves. That's that self-care stuff. Mm-hmm. We know that there's a problem with depression when isolation mm-hmm. when most of their language and speech and things that they talk about are from the past instead of the present and going into the future mm-hmm. depression is about the past anxiety is about going to head into the future mm-hmm. and so when those languages show up it is up to us in how to, we do we support somebody that might be going in with that it's if you only address it from an emotional standpoint, then they will kind of get down on themselves or they'll think that they can power through. Mm-hmm. For me, I really address it more, more often than not with people with medication from a physiological standpoint about their brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. And then I equate it to any other any other health issue that can come up. Mm-hmm. Just because our 
brains can't be seen mm-hmm. does not mean that we, we still have to take care of it. Right. And that might include medication for a right. little while. That might include other things right. that can help you to, to manage it. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that it's a problem if it's been this reoccurring um, feelings that's been coming up and it's been happening kind of like in a pattern or whatever for at least six months or more. Okay. So I, what about, what about, um, and we all have our own personalities and you did talk about that you, that you deal a lot in trauma. Um, what about people who always seem to be mad? Like if you have a kid on your team that's just always mad. It's, I would look at it basically from the, um, age range mm-hmm. honestly mm-hmm. um younger kids that i find that are are, are uh usually mad all the time mm-hmm. i would definitely be looking at trauma experiences mm-hmm. and for each child it's different and for each person it's different i kind of define trauma as anything that i've gone through or any life experience that i've had where i was not chronologically emotionally or intellectually mature enough to know how to process and handle in a healthy way. And that's going to be different from across the board. What I find a lot in the athletes that I work with is that a lot of them do have a lot of unresolved generational family trauma Mm -hmm. that's never been addressed, but through their athletic ability is where they've gotten the most support. That's where they've gotten the recognition. That's where they've been validated. That's where they have felt heard, seen. Mm -hmm. And because that is the only way that they know how to do it, that transition out of the sports Mm -hmm. or that transition um, or how they manage the sport is going to be very different. And I think for a lot of athletes, um, the unresolved family generational Racial trauma is huge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, those things have to be addressed in order to help you to be um, the best and the healthiest athlete that you can be and be balanced with it. Because if the thing if that's the one thing I've only got my validation through. Yes. And, and, and those external perfection right, things are going to hit hard. Right. Because even when we win is still not enough because again, they have an expectation of everything, not just them, everything has to be perfect. If you don't do the right thing, and and I think it's also sometimes some transference of the disappointments that they just, they they deal with disappointments in a whole different way than Mm -hmm. um, people who may not have that that same trauma response and the deal about it is when you look at athletes like i said i think in the ones particularly that i've worked with there's kind of been the same uh spectrum of things that happen it's anxiety Mm -hmm. it's depression Mm -hmm. uh and a lot of older athletes it is personality disorders in Mm -hmm. particularly um the personality disorders of narcissism Mm -hmm. um Obsessive compulsive disorder, mm-hmm. uh, personality disorder, um, and in some regards, I think that there can be um, some borderline stuff. And what borderline is is just I've had a lot of trauma, and because of that trauma, I have a lot of triggers, and it help, and I can't um, control my emotions because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, some other ones that I find can be with athletes is the impulse. Absolutely. Impulse um, control. 
control mm-hmm. um, or disorders. Um, some of them can be ADHD. And because in on the court, on the field, you rely so heavily on your impact impulsivity Mm -hmm. to make the goal or to make the play Mm -hmm. it's hard for them to recognize that outside of that domain of their life the impulsivity isn't going to be the same Mm -hmm. it's going to work the same Mm -hmm. because that because impulsivity means we act in the moment Mm -hmm. um outside of the that field Mm -hmm. you have to think about the consequences Right. And that doesn't usually happen. And so there's a lot of that stuff. And then, of course, the other one that I think is big, huge with athletes, that um, mental health disorder is going to be adjustment disorder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This this is um, maybe um, a politically incorrect thing to say, but when you just said that about people who have ADHD, sometimes they are the best kids to have on your team. Mm-hmm. Because they they don't overthink it. Mm-hmm. They just do it, and if it don't work out, they just do it again. Something else, you know. They don't really take a lot of um, time, and you know, they're not self conscious. They are just boom, let's go, let's go, let's go. And when it's over, it's over for them, and they don't right. Really and the them. deal about somebody that has ADHD too is that ADHD is. I mean, it impacts your um, executive functioning skills. But one of the things that it's really a benefit is they can be impulsive and then they forget. Right. They let it go. Like it's they, 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 it's, they let it go because yeah. they've done forgot what they did or how they did it. Yeah. They just did it in the moment. Yeah. And so that, yes, yeah. people with ADHD make great athletes. Yes. However, outside <laughs> of that domain of, of that, it can be detrimental because it's our executive functioning skills that help us to adult well. Yes. Now, it, there is the issue of a focus. Like, if you, when you are a coach and you have an athlete that has ADHD and you're trying to hold their attention for a period of time that might be too long for them, helping them to, I mean, first of all, recognizing it, even some undiagnosed, um, but coaches know. With, I mean, you know right away because some of them are younger children that may not have been diagnosed, and but you know right away because. Like, I mean, they literally can't give you one minute. Um, right, and they can't. So one of the things that I, um, with working with parents that have children with ADHD, is I always tell them that you have to have something or give them something to put their energy into when they have to focus. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a paperclip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I mean, when my son was playing uh, sports and stuff, in order to help him focus, he would do something with the hem of his jerseys okay. and that type of thing, just to put the energy somewhere so that I can maintain the focus where I need to be. Okay. And that really, really helped. Those little fidget spinners and different things like that, mm-hmm. giving at least creating the space that that is something that they can do and pay attention at the right time because someone with ADHD, they are very good at multitasking and just okay. doing one thing is hard for them so when they can have multiple things to do at the same time as the coach's speech it it will literally actually help them to focus on your words better okay so i just learned something so if they happen to have like you said one of those fidget um spinners or whatever whatever they are multitasking they can do that and listen absolutely but Okay, so because sometimes I'm wondering, like, when they're doing so many other things, they can still be listening, doing all these other things. Oh, absolutely. Okay. They're they're completely focused on what you're saying. Okay. It's just I have to have something to put the energy into. Okay. I'm one of those, I mean, I have ADHD, too. And okay. so in school and when I was writing those 
big papers, mm-hmm. it was very easy for me to be doing my paper while I have a TV show on and actually have in headphones at the same time. Mm-hmm. It literally helped me focus. Okay, okay. So I learned something else. <laughs> because now I do know um, people, a lot of times parents can't don't understand and maybe especially a parent that has ADHD can understand when they want them to turn off the radio, turn off that TV, you're supposed to be doing your mm-hmm. homework. But it you, literally helps us focus more. Okay. Can't coach your I definitely the same, So we do recognize that some people, you can't say certain things to because they, they, they um, process it differently. But how do we help them to grow in that area so that everything... That well, the thing that's going to help them grow is their own self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So in those situations, I would probably start off with the question of, okay, this is just what happened. What do, what do you feel like you could have done differently mm-hmm. or what is what is something you could have done to make that outcome a little bit differently? Mm-hmm. Letting them start the conversation mm-hmm. so that they, now I'm partnering with you and mm-hmm. how to do this mm-hmm. instead of just coming down on you. Mm-hmm. But but in the moment of in, in the moment of a game in the moment of whatever is going on and say come on man you you gotta make that or you gotta do this or whatever this, the conversation is mm-hmm. that is just like in the moment and you're talking to all the kids. right and it's about I think reiterating about. A situation mm-hmm. and not making the situation about again about their character mm-hmm. you got to have I always tell people you got to balance criticism or critiques with grace and compassion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just the critique 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 without the grace and compassion then there's nothing for that person to do but probably to personalize it but here's the thing and I know this about myself um, and I don't know if this is just human nature, not just about athletes, but about, I, I listen to myself when I, when I listen to the game, I listen to myself and I will say 10 good things. I will be saying, good job. All right. So, 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 good, good, good. Blah, 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 blah. And I'll say one thing like, come on, do such and such. And that is where all the focus goes on. Because at first I really thought I was a bad coach. I thought I was out here screaming, yelling, just saying bad stuff to kids. And then I started listening to the tapes, and, and that was not true. But even but, I. But like, I mean, but think about something. Mm-hmm. If you have a core belief about a person, mm-hmm. let's say I have a core belief that somebody's lazy. Mm-hmm. What am I only looking for? The moments that they've been lazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And part of that is balancing our relationships so that we are aware of what. Sometimes I think what someone's core belief is about us. Because if our core belief is that she's always yelling, then they're only paying attention to when you're yelling. Okay. Does that make sense? It do. But so what about if the core belief, if you're the athlete and the core belief is self-fulfilling prophecy is what your core belief is about yourself. So that if I am saying you did good, good, Cindy, you well run, Cindy, good hustle, blah, Cindy, Cindy. Great, great, great. And then I say, come on, Sandy, hustle back. And I've said good hustle four times when you were running up and down the court. And then you don't hustle down the next time. So then that's where, but that's where you use the gentle reminders. In the middle of the game, Cindy, I'm not (laughs) using gentle reminders. Or you address Um, it later on behind, after the game. But I'm saying if, so I want to say control the controllables. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about for the athlete because... I'm getting out of coaching. I'm out of coaching. So I'm talking about the people that they are going to encounter. Well, and I think it is too. Right now, I think so many times, especially with athletes, that's where they find their value. Mm-hmm. It is. Right? 
But people have more value than their performance on a court or on a field. Absolutely. And the more that we can affirm their value off the field, Mm -hmm. they will believe us when we're coaching them on the field. Right. But there are not other coaches sitting in the office with you. And those, and just like the, the athlete, they're going to encounter people they who, are. Who, who are not, um, who are not self, self, aware, self aware, who are not, um, who are, some of them are older as I am, who think it's a bunch of bull job. They just need to toughen up all those kind of things like that, that, that these kids, even when I say kids, I'm talking about even college athletes that they have to encounter because, um, you know, that's, that's where a lot of it's, mm-hmm. that mentality is, is similar to being in the military, similar to the mentality for that is that's just the culture of it. Um, so there are some exceptions, of course, some people who, who do a great job and not going that direction. But if you are a parent, do you take your children out of sports because they, because, um, that's what's going on or how do you as a parent help your children to manage that because they want to play? I balanced it in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, my, like I said, my kids played sports. And and in particular, there was... And at times, my children had very, very tough coaches. Mm-hmm. So when the games were over, yes, and they might say, well, coach said this to me, or coach said that to me, or coach said this to me. And I'd be like, that's valid. Or do you think it's valid or whatever they said to you? But I always counteract it with what I know is good about my child. Mm-hmm. It's one thing that if your coach is doing it, it's another if you're also getting it in the home. Mm-hmm. We as parents have an important role to counteract some of the things that our children will experience from other people. Mm-hmm. And we have to be good at that. We mm-hmm. have to help them, I think, in figuring out that emotional balance mm-hmm. of everybody who says something to our children is not doing it for their good. Right. Absolutely. Right. And so, mm-hmm. and it might be what needs to be said because it's what's best for the team. But as a parent, it's my job to make sure that the emotional health of my child is good. And so even though they might, they might've had a horrible game mm-hmm. and that is absolutely true. But and there was many days that they just had a horrible game. Mm-hmm. That Those things were true. And what the coach said was true. But their identity outside of that game, that's what I'm responsible for. Right, right. And so do what What about, were there times that you had to go and have a talk with any coaches about the treatment, how they treated your child? No, I don't. I, I never really talked to coaches about how they treated my child, um, but of course, I think there were things that are different. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband made a decision years ago mm-hmm. um, because we are an interracial couple, so mm-hmm. he made a decision years ago that he can teach our son to be a man, but he cannot teach him to be a black man. Mm-hmm. So he made so we made conscious effort and intentional choices to put black men into our child's life. Mm-hmm. He has to listen to them mm-hmm. because no matter what, I don't care who you are, you always have to respect authority over you. Mm-hmm. And the way someone has authority over our children is 
we don't have a choice in how they choose to do it, but I did have a choice in how I counteracted it. Mm -hmm. And so when he was having a bad game or he had a bad practice and all of his teammates had to run for a mistake that he made, Mm -hmm. I had to be the one to go, now you go and you apologize to all your teammates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the next time you be the first one to run and do that, made it about the situation not about his character because at the heart of him is Kendall or my son you're you're a kind kid you're a good kid you are a loving kid you're an empathetic kid I always put those core things inside of him to counteract it I've never talked to a coach about how they coached my child I just made up the difference when I felt like they were doing things that 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 could impact their character and how they sell themselves so so what about parents who may have this vicarious relationship lady who um, who died by suicide um, how do Mm -hmm. they manage Um, Um, because sometimes they know it sometimes they know it but it's still hard to manage um i don't know anything about the situation um particularly i did know her we actually played um basketball together literally at the now they have this child and they see they see okay we're gonna get it right now joe junior gonna be the one and they start putting all these expectations Mm -hmm. and pressures on their child based out of their desires and their wants and that is part of being a parent Mm -hmm. you have to heal your crap before Mm -hmm. you put it on somebody else Mm -hmm. (laughs) doing more for your doing things out of what you didn't have Mm -hmm. In your that that hindered you, mm-hmm. and letting that be the guide for what you do for your child, mm-hmm. right? And what I mean by that is, I didn't have the right type of running shoes to run track, let's say, mm-hmm. and so because I didn't have those running shoes, my son has five pairs of shoes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need five pairs of shoes. Mm-hmm. You're just wanting to give him those five pairs of shoes to make up for what you didn't have. Mm-hmm. That's a clear indication you got junk. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So Does that make sense? It do, but I, I wonder, do when people are doing it, do they even recognize it's because it can be so subconscious? Well, I don't think a lot of times people recognize it, but I think that's why it's important to have people in your life that can that you can talk these things out with and talk mm-hmm. these things through with. You know, there's. I mean, how many of us were kind of just normal students, but we have the expectations that our kids have to have straight A's so that they can have this scholarship and do all of those things. And because that is the expectation that we have for them, we we put the pressure on them and we're checking their grades several times a day. We're doing this, we're doing that. That That is... That that's, is that's out of balance. That That is... recognize that you're using your child as a source of self-validation that, that yes. you're a good parent yes yes that then that is that and is. that's and that's the deal yes. if my child is the quarterback then that that makes me feel good of who I am as a parent yes. that should never be there yes 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 that's you using your child for your for approval for yourself we all know when we're doing that do we? I do think we? so, yeah. Do think about why we do that, though. It's the fear of criticism and judgment for others. Yes, yes. But I, do, I, I, but I do think that so many times us as parents 
our fears, we will impose them on our children unnecessarily. Absolutely. And then, and they will develop the same fears. Absolutely. And it's not about our children being perfect. It's about their potential for success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I look at what motivates success, Mm -hmm. peace. Okay. What motivates success? It's it's my potential for success. So that's motivated by happiness. Mm -hmm. That's motivated by peace. Mm -hmm. It's all motivated. It's motivated by love. It's motivated by encouragement. It's Mm -hmm. motivated by. knowing what those internal, I call them image of God qualities are about that person, Mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with judgment and criticism. Right. So if I want my child to be successful in their sport, I'm not expecting perfection. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting success and whatever they choose for it to look, not what I choose for it to look. You have to have their voice then. Yes. Yes. I watched the episode of Dr. Phil some years back, and it was about this young lady. She, a, a student athlete, wrote Dr. Phil and said, "Can you please help? My mom is at the game screaming and yelling. She, she sent the video. Her mom was running up and down the court on every play, yelling. She said, I can't even play because without shooting a free throw, she's just yelling about every single thing. She's just like embarrassing me, such, such, such. And Dr. Phil had them come on the show. And what Dr. Phil said was. You are denying her, the child, to develop her own voice. To be Absolutely. able to speak to herself and say, I want to do more. She can never hear herself because she is only always hearing you. About that. I know. They're not, not only was, she, was that somebody who was stifling her child's voice, but she was hindering her from being able to trust in herself. Right, right, right. And, and the thing that's funny is... So how does someone mature if they can't trust in themselves? And the thing that's funny is that you don't, not, I'm not even talking about the, the person, the parent. Society does not even see that that person is not confident right. because, they, because they're the star quarterback or the star basketball player. They appear to have great confidence, but maybe not because they're no, used not. to somebody always making decisions for them. Absolutely. And you know, there is this thing, in particularly with anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, under the heading of anxiety, they talk a lot about uh parental involvement Mm -hmm. the overly spoiled child Mm -hmm. what do you think happens to an overly spoiled child when they become adults Mm -hmm. they've never learned to trust in themselves trust their own voice so they get pigeonholed they get stuck in life Mm -hmm. that's 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 what's happening Mm -hmm. um they don't they expect everything to be easy for them so they never challenge themselves to go to try anything hard we have to be careful, right? Yes. And just like within a, a child that has trauma or been neglected or been through those things, what happens? Same thing. They they become so independent that they end up not asking for help. They become so independent and so driven to do everything on their own that they could be drowning, but they'll never say a word because why? They feel like their needs would be a burden on someone else. That's interesting too. Right. And then those who have to grow before they are emotionally and mentally mature enough, they don't ask for help because they just see what their needs as burden. And that with, um, as a parent, how do you find that balance with your children where you want to promote growth, 
and but you also want them to be able because we said one of the problems with mental health is people not feeling like they can ask for help so how do you kind of promote that balance well i think for our home and our family now that i'm a counselor number one we remove the stigma of it all mm-hmm. and we talk about it mm-hmm. i'm okay I mean, now that my children are adults, they know my own struggles with mental health and my own struggles of overcoming trauma and stuff in my life in a healthy way. I protect them, but I don't overshare, but I appropriately share with them. And so it's not something that they feel that they have to shy away from Mm -hmm. because in our home, we remove the stigma around it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. I also think it's important that discipline and or as I say, helping people with their self-discipline. <laughs> it has to it, it has to be balanced with encouragement. Mm-hmm. Whether you say it out loud or not, then that's probably a, a sign that you need help, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because and again, I always I always people come in and whether they're teenagers and I have many parents that have come in where their their daughters or their sons are on travel soccer teams or they're on so- travel uh, baseball teams and and they'll be in this space where they go like well my child's not talking to me why isn't she talking to me mm-hmm. and I always counteract that question with this one mm-hmm. have you asked yourself what you're doing where she feels like they can't talk to you mm-hmm that one they have a silence Mm -hmm. because they can come up with many many reasons why their child isn't talking to them where it's always the child's fault Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. none of us really ask ourselves what what is my child maybe seeing from me where they feel like they can't ask me for help every parent needs to ask themselves that question Mm -hmm. to hold themselves accountable and so that they can have recognition and self-awareness of how to build the relationship. Because it's not, why isn't my child asking for help? It's, what am I doing where my child feels like they can't ask me for help? It not ever occur to you. You may not ever be able to figure out, like, I'm, I always say you can come to me about anything. You know, all that We say it, but yes. does our behaviors encourage it? Right, right. And so what does that look like? We say that a lot, but I... But I our behaviors have to encourage it. So I always tell parents, I don't care. It is always the parent's responsibility to pursue the child. Mm-hmm. It is never the child's responsibility to pursue a parent. Right, right. It is always the parent's responsibility to find connection with their child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is something. It doesn't matter if you like it or if you don't like it. Mm-hmm. Get out of your way because they are worth the effort. Mm-hmm. And if I, as a parent, can show my child that they're worth the effort, mm-hmm. that does something different in them than if somebody else tells them that they're worth the effort. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to believe it from me. So. Finding that one thing that you can have friendship, connection with, relatability with your child on, that will open up the doors to more. So that your son played baseball. Um, I, I don't know if they, if your daughter played any sports. Yes, my daughter played volleyball and softball. Okay, okay. So you're a sports mom. I am. And even my son that has autism played baseball. Okay, so you're absolutely a sports mom. I am. And the deal is, is that's what I connect with my son on. Okay. I mean, I recognize that um, our connection wasn't the way I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not... I'm not somebody that watches Sports Center and does all that stuff, mm-hmm. but you better believe 
starting his senior year of high school, mm-hmm. I watched <laughs> and I listened to Sports Center all day long so that I could have something mm-hmm. to connect with my son on. Okay, okay. I still do that. Okay. Because I can at least, at the very least, I can talk to him about sports. Now he's really into music, so we share that together. Um, my daughter's into murder podcast. They're not my thing, <laughs> but you know. better believe. But you better believe me and her daddy will listen and unsolved mysteries and stuff to have that connection. It's our way of pursuing a child to let them know that we're safe no matter what. Normally, ask my guests. Who is your favorite athlete? So I'm gonna assume your children are probably your favorites. Yeah, my children. That. I don't know. <laughs> I th- well, I think it depends on the sport. Okay. In all honesty, right now for football, we are Steelers fans, okay. so it's Fitzpatrick. Okay. Uh, for I've always been a LeBron fan. Okay. And with basketball, um, although I know Kyrie Irving too, I like him. Um. Okay. So baseball, you, yeah, it's clutch it, okay. from the Pirates. Okay, so so I'm sorry. I know that's supposed to be the last question, but because you're a mental health professional, when you are watching sports, and I know you don't, you're not like a big sports fan, but when you are watching and some things happen, th- th- are you triggered? Like, I wonder what that person's going through. Me being mental health, I think I do that with everybody. Okay. <laughs> So I never, I never, I mental health everything. Okay. I'm mental health movies. I'm mental health all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, it, it, it it's so hard for me to me. cut my empathy off. Okay. So like, you know, somebody, a football game and that person gets hurt. I immediately go into what they're thinking. I immediately go into what their family members might be feeling. I immediately go into what their teammates might be feeling in that moment. It's just hard for me to cut it off. I don't know what it is. I tend to look at everything through mental health, Mm -hmm. whether it's the Bible, whether it's books, whether it's movies, whether Mm -hmm. it's sports. I tend to look at everything that way. And so, and that's why, you know, I was talking to uh, somebody that is a friend of mine and an athlete um, and I told her, I was just like, I, if I ever decide to go back to school and get my PhD, I'm going to do it on athletes and the impulsivity and ADHD and the prevalence of it in, in athletes because they have to be so good at trusting their in, instinct. Mm-hmm. And I just find that fascinating. Mm-hmm. And because the ones that are so, that are Yes. Up there. Most they up. yeah, they just move. You know, you look at a football player, you look at a tennis or mm-hmm. look at the athletes, they they trust their intuition and they mm-hmm. they react impulsively. Mm-hmm. And I just I found that to be fascinating that I I would garner there's so many professional athletes that are athlete actually ADHD than Absolutely. probably what we think because Absolutely. it helps them with their success and just learning the knowledge of the sport, mm-hmm. that's where that hyper-focus part of ADHD would kick in. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, I look at everything through the mental health lens, I think. Well, thank you for spending some time with me. <laughs> and I, I pray that um, the people that need help will continue to get it. I pray that your practice continues to grow. I know you're already overwhelmed with so much, <laughs> but especially because my heart is toward athletes and I do know that there is this extra pressure from a very Mm -hmm. early age on athletes to have the best grades, to perform on the court, on the field, Mm -hmm. um, wherever they are. And it's okay 
it's okay to have pressure. Mm -hmm. The deal is, is to be able to teach them how to manage the pressure. Mm -hmm. I think more importantly, it's teaching them to to know what voices to hear and listen to and really take to heart mm -hmm. and also balancing that pressure with a lot of unconditional acceptance, grace, and understanding. I always say, tell people, when you recognize that you kind of have this perfectionism thing in you, mm -hmm. we if it's not perfect, we automatically think something's failed. Mm -hmm. There is a whole lot mm -hmm. that goes between failure and perfection. Mm -hmm. There's good-ish, mm -hmm. good. <laughs> Good enough. Very good. Okay. Almost good. It is okay to make our expectations and our standards based out of the whole picture and not a small lens. Okay. When we can fill in the gap between perfectionism and failure mm -hmm. and give them, this is where you are today and this is what I need you to shoot for, mm -hmm. it's teaching them grace for themselves. All right. All right. Thank you, Sandy. Thank you so 